If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to John chapter 20. I'm not preaching, but I have been asked to read the Word this morning. So I invite you to take your Bibles out and let's read John chapter 20. We'll be reading the first 18 verses of this wonderful text this morning. Then I will give special introduction to our speaker this morning. John chapter 20, I am reading out of the English Standard Version this morning. And it says on the headline, the resurrection, the resurrection, John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early and while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up and a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that he was, that it was Jesus. She said to her, Jesus said to her, excuse me, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Aramek, Rehomeni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Lord. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. What a thrilling time that must have been. Will you bow your heads? Father, it has been such a joy this morning to sing praises to you this morning, to worship you, to have this freedom of of offering that we've presented to you this morning. But Father, most important, we thank you for the re reading of the words, the infallible, authoritative word of God that pierces the heart, Lord. And Father, as this word is being read, I just ask right now you begin to minister to those that are in need this morning, Lord, that are seeking something from God this morning, seeking encouragement, seeking hope this morning. Father, be with our speaker this morning as he opens his mouth, Lord, that it it's not a, just a time of sharing his thoughts, but it's just a time of sharing what you have presented to him this morning. And we just thank you for allowing him to be with us this morning. And we thank you for speaking to him that he can share your word this morning. In your name we pray. And everyone says, amen and amen. The Renaissance Institute International Limited President, Dr. David F. Allen, MD, MPH, and I imagine if we wanted to go on, there's more to that. I have two pages of credentials here. Dr. Allen, will you mind if I don't read them all? We want to get to the restaurant for the Methodists this morning, okay? But I will make note of just a few of them this morning, if it's all right. He was trained in medicine at St. Andrews University in Scotland, UK, and in psychiatry and public health at Harvard University in Boston, USA. He's certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and added qualifications in addiction. 
Dr. Allen has taught in Harvard, Yale, and most recently held a clinic, clinical profession in psychiatry at Georgetown Medical School in Washington, USA. Dr. Allen has pioneered the development of treatment approaches to cocaine addiction in the Bahamas and in Washington, D.C. In May 2008, Dr. Allen was made a Distinguished Life Fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. He is the author of numerous books. He has a regular radio program. He has a television program on JSN. Dr. Allen is the director of Renaissance Institute in Nassau, and his team of psychotherapists and psychoanalysis cater to international clientele and specialize in marital therapy, depression, grief, loss, addictions, and crisis management, and also is quoted a lot in the newspaper, as we have seen lately, with economic problems that we have had in this country, and he has been asked to address these issues as well. But most importantly, twice a month, he goes to CCC in Abaco and holds office over there and does um, um, therapy for people over there that are hurting as well, and we thank him for being with us. Um, he was here in the very beginning, I understand, 24 years ago with Christian Counseling Center. I suppose you looked a little different then, is that right? <laughs> but he is with us today, and uh, we thank you. Not a, he's maybe not with us each and every time, but he is always, I know, is, has CCC in his hearts and his prayers, and I know is uh, continually um, looking for the best for Christian Counseling Center this morning. So at this time, Dr. David Allen is going to come and present the word. Will you give him a warm welcome? Welcome here at Calvary Bible Church this morning. God bless you. It's certainly a special privilege to be back home at Calvary. Um, it's nice putting on a suit to come to church uh, at Calvary West, you know. Um, we don't wear suits sometimes, <clears throat> but it brings back so many memories. The Sunday school class down in the corner there before the service each Sunday. But I come with a full heart this morning because <clears throat> my subject is one which is very important, <clears throat> and I want to share it from my experience and my heart. God has placed me in some interesting places in my life. And part of that has been to try and make some interpretation to help ourselves, our church, but also our country. My subject today is the culture of death and destruction versus the culture of life and hope. In the past two years, <clears throat> it's not been really recorded, but in New York, there's been a self-massacre of a number of leading, very well-known <clears throat> New Yorkers whose lives were suicided because of the loss of the faith and meaning in modern life. Timothy Keller, <clears throat> in his new book, Counterfeit Gods, describes this. That this quiet self-massacre of a group of healthy, wealthy, and influential New Yorkers has made a tremendous mark on those in the know in that city. For example, Chief Financial Officer Freddie Mac, Federal Home Mortgage Corporation, hiding himself in his basement. CEO of Shelton Good, the U.S. real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and aristocratic families after losing $1.4 billion in Bernie Madoff's Ponsai scheme, sent the cleaning ladies home, slit his wrist, <clears throat> and died in his Madison Avenue apartment. Senior executive HSBC Bank hanged himself in the wardrobe of his plush hotel in London. A Bear Stearns executive who learned he would not be hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, who bought his firm took an overdose and left from the 29th floor office, killing himself. A friend said the Bear Stearns thing broke his spirit. All these persons had good physical health, excellent educations, and were deemed to be very successful. What was missing? Coming into our Bahamas, <clears throat> in the past, 
four or five years, we've seen this culture of death and destruction. Read it every single morning in the papers. As one lady said, Dr. Allen, murder is so common now, I'm used to it. For God's sake, murder has never become common. And believer, if you ever get used to murder, something is broken in your heart. And I'm here to say this morning, yes, there's a culture of death and destruction. But because Jesus Christ lives, there's a culture of life and hope. This is not new. In the 80s, remember our cocaine addiction problem? People like Greg Sweeting, Percy Pinder, and others walked with me in Black Village. That's how the Christian Counseling Center got started. Carlos Lita came to live in Exuma. And God only knows what would have happened if we didn't stand up. Have you heard about Mexico recently? Did you know that <clears throat> after all the politics was done, when I invited the drug czar from the White House down here at Cleaver, my old professor Yale, we looked at NASA, they went to Bimini. Never get a lick until you go down to Bimini. I tried to do the research down there, 3 in the morning, <clears throat> 12, midnight, 12 o'clock during the day. And all my data was so mixed up. As I got on the plane and <laughs> come back, Julian Brown is now dead, said, Doc, you look like you mixed up. You're right, you never get a licking till you come down to Bimini. I came away with the data, and Professor Cleveland and I looked at each other and said, this is a mess. So I said, how can we get the world to know that the Bahamas is facing something very unique, a new kind of cocaine epidemic? He said, it will take $1 million to do a prospective study, and nobody would believe it, especially with the data we got from Bimini. I had to go to prayer. My wife will tell you I had to learn that. I was forced there. I saw the destruction of my country before me. To the date of my scientific work at Knowles House, a little small place by the Princess Margaret Hospital. In 1982, there were no cocaine crack addicts. In 1983, they went to 32. 1984, it went to 529. Something unprecedented, I had not seen any part of the world. I had that data stored in my back pocket, in my briefcase. I held it for a while. At that time, our country is besieged by allegations from, you know, NBC, Brian Ross, and what have you. It wasn't until one day, a 14-year-old girl wrote me a letter and said, Dr. Allen, my pusher <coughs> asked me for my mother's china and gave it to him. My pusher asked me for my mother's money and daddy's money, I gave it to him. And now he wants to use me as his prostitute, I could no longer stay quiet. The rest is history. But how could you report this to the world? God brought to my mind an old professor at Yale, James Jekyll, a Presbyterian elder who flew down and around my kitchen table one night through prayer. We asked God to show us how to report this epidemic to the world. After the prayer, God showed us to do a retrospective study Went back through all the cases of crack cocaine addiction. And as you know, the secret was that was published as the first scientific paper in the Lancet, the world's leading medical journal, in 1986. The next thing we knew, Mrs. Hallett was flying here in a DEA helicopter. Bahamas changed! But it was the word of God. It was somebody's prayer. We're in the same situation today. It's not drug addiction. But there's a culture of violence and death that's eating the Bahamas alive. And it could be you this week. It could be you next week. And remember, when you have a murder victim, it's not just a victim. Every person has a sociophile of 100 people. If they kill you this morning, it's your family, your church, your friends, the people you work with, you went to school with. So you can imagine the effect. <clears throat> it has. At this time, we have to come through this with a powerful understanding of the reality of it. And it's called the violent chronic drug syndrome. Let me just run through it briefly, because it's so important for us Christians to be informed. There's no excuse for a Christian not to be informed. This is God's will. Even the devil is God's devil, you know. I'm so glad of that. If he was my devil, I'd be in trouble. If he was your devil, ah, you'd be in trouble too. And so would I. But thank God he's a God's devil, which means what? God's got him under control. And so you know there's a culture of death and destruction. The culture of life and hope still rises up. And when I come here to Calvary this morning, I come because I come to the culture of what? Life and hope. 
as long as there's a remnant, as long as there's a remnant, as long as somebody stands and I believe that Jesus lives, there's hope, <laughs> there's hope, and there's hope. i never forget a few weeks ago, she's not here this morning, Sister Idina Burroughs, anybody know her? She's a young lady of age 75, 76 now, <clears throat> but she volunteers every Wednesday at, at the Haven after things got so bad, we gave her one day of our practice because I started to see the same nonsense I saw in 1980, that this culture of death was spreading so rapidly. And of course, you can police it, you can politic it, do, yeah, join the politics, go join the parties, do what you want, but <laughs> it's about God. And so there, this dear lady would come and sit with me. And as you know, she had a grandson who was murdered, you know that, about a year and a half ago. And this Wednesday around 4.30 sitting there, this young lady rushed in, screaming, Dr. Allen, I'm going to kill somebody. I said, what do you mean? They just killed my brother. And my brother's my father. I know who did it. I'm going to kill him. The machete's in the car. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. <clears throat> you know, I'm soft. I was brought up very soft. You know that. I can't fight. I could just say, how do you feel about it? All right? So strong women always scare, scare me. My mother was like that, you know. She's in heaven now, but I'm sure the angels have a little conflict with her. But she's a great lady. Um, and, and so I got scared of this woman. I mean, I said, where's the machete, man? I said, you know, and I'm, I'm going to kill. I'm going to kill. I said, what do you mean? Well, my brother, he may have been on drugs, but he supplied the family. He put me in school. He put me in college. And they killed him. And I am going to kill the person. But somebody said, come by the haven and see Dog Allen before you kill. I said, I said well, what, what am I supposed to do? So I said, Lord, let us pray. That's all I know to do. And I prayed, because that afternoon, Sister Idina Burroughs wasn't there. And I said, Lord, of all times, Sister Idina gone. I prayed, Lord, for God's sake, please bring Sister Idina to help this young woman. When I opened my eyes, the door opened, and who walked in? Sister Idina Burroughs. I said, Sister, the Lord has called you to a woman sitting right there. She's got a machete, and you deal with her. So Sidina grabbed her, put her arms around her, and put one prayer, Calvary prayer, I call it, on her. <laughs> All I can tell you is I got a letter from her saying, thank God for Miss Burroughs. Because when she prayed, she prayed the revenge out of my soul, and I don't want to kill anymore. Do you realize the power of prayer? Do you realize you have the culture of life and hope? And it's so tragic to see when Christians who have this sense of the power of life and hope, become so overwhelmed, <laughs> hidden in their guarded communities and gated communities, being locked right up. Some of us have seven keys to get to our bedroom. The other, lady got to, the other day, a lady got from a, uh, into a main room. She got to a living room, but she lost the key to get from the living room to the bedroom. She's stuck in between. <coughs> I said, sister, you got a lot of keys. Anyway, welcome to the Bahamas. What is this chronic violence? Drug syndrome. Six things, and please follow this. This happens in any country where crack cocaine exist, existed more than 10 years. You can go to Jamaica, you'll see it. Go to Colombia, you'll see it, like I've done. Uh, Peru, you'll see it. You can go to Mexico right now, they're just killing the mayors. You can go to Miami, you'll see it. You can go to New York, you'll see it. You can go to Washington, you'll see it. You go to LA, you'll see it. it. Has six things. The first thing is you get <clears throat> tremendous drug trafficking. But what you get is drug executions that happen so that people can see them. Check the Bahamas in the past six months. They happen where people can see. They kill mercilessly. And that's the warning to scare people around so the drug guys get more powerful. So people cower with the murder. That's what they want, to scare people. And it's evil. You realize it costs $500 to kill another Bahamian today? Do you realize women are hiring men to beat their husbands. One husband went to fish fry and said, see the, the woman said, see that guy? I hired him to beat my last husband. <coughs> he told me he didn't want to go back home. <coughs> anyway, ladies, uh, I respect you. <coughs> I can't fight, so. <coughs> Secondly, you get a number of chronic addicts. A chronic addict is someone who uses drugs for more than five years, uses it more than three times a week, they, use, uh, they make up one-third of the addicts, but they use two-thirds of the drugs in the country, and two-thirds are always involved in crime. You can easily catch them. They're execution killers. 
The police can arrest them after killing. They find them. They go in and out. They're on bail. And they kill sometimes two and three times. And they get stripes for killing. Watch them as they do the murder walk. Have you seen the murder walk? And they're getting younger and younger. And sometime in the courts, they're there by themselves. There's not one soul connected to them. They don't need rehabilitation. They need habilitation. <laughs> they're totally disconnected. Then thirdly, you get guns, guns, and more guns. Wherever cocaine is gone, guns go. We've got loads of guns in the Bahamas. And everybody's arming themselves. Let me warn you, though, all the studies show that when you get a gun, you most likely will use it on somebody you love, your family. And Bahamians, let me tell you, you're not killers, okay? You may try it, but you ain't that good. <laughs> I have some confidential involvement, so I can see some of the videotapes of the murders. There's one guy where the robber came into the shop, and was in his gun... And this fella had his gun and, and the owner of the store, and he was, had a tremendous view of the robber. And there was a pole 20 feet to the left of him. Guess what he hit? The pole. I said, oh, God, help us. Because I know what happened. As he was aiming the guy, his mother's internal voice was saying, you can't kill nobody. Bam! And there goes the pole. But then the killer came in and left the place four times. And I said, run, man, run. You got your money. Go. But he heard another voice saying, you just stole. You are a member of the gang. You got to do something bad. And he came back for the fifth time and put a gun to the security guard lying on the ground. Bam! Blew his brains out. I felt as sad for the killer as I did for the shop owner. Guns. And there's one guy in the hood says, when you have a gun, even if you lose the dice game, you still win. Because what yours is mine. There's one guy who said, Doc, I walk with my shiny friend. And when I feel him in my pocket, I am safe. I take him to the party. I take him wherever I go. And when I want something, I easily get it. Fourthly and sadly, most of all, <clears throat> you get a fragmentation of the sociocultural value ethic. Four things. Life becomes cheap. You've seen that happen in the Bahamas. Property is not respected. You've seen that happen in the Bahamas. The worst ethic is destroyed. You've seen that happen in the Bahamas. And the worst thing is, crack was the first drug to feminize drug addiction. So what happens, the mothers got kicked out of the home in the poor communities, and the kids were left to fend for themselves. And with that mess, it's terrible. The fifth thing is youth gangs. And all it is, the kids were knocked out of the home, and so they hang in gangs for what? Affirmation, family, connection, and to do daring things. And then finally you get um, violent crime. Whether you go Jamaica, whether you go Mexico, Bahamas, South America, Miami, New York, you see this culture of violence and destruction. But the culture goes deeper in the Bahamas. Do you realize what's happening now, that friends in the Bahamas are avoiding friends? <laughs> One lady says, Doc, you know, when I have dinner with my friend, she tells me her problems, and I go, I may have double problems. So I prefer to have dinner with a stranger. At least you just have dinner and go home. A friend called a friend the other night. When she started complaining, she said, I'll call you back. I'm hung up for the rest of the night. She said, Doc, she don't love me anymore. I know she loves you. She just can't take it anymore. So we're creating a society where friends walk as strangers and strangers as friends. We get on better because we don't know each other. And do you realize that people you love the most make you the most angry? There's one lady who says, Doc, I haven't thought of divorce, but I've thought of murder. Do you realize the worst time in the Bahamas is around 6 or 7 o'clock? We're so wonderful during the day. Oh, thank you. Welcome to the Bahamas. Come back again. But oh, 6 or 7 o'clock, the demons come out. There's one guy who says, Doc, I have to run next door till the hurricane dies down. You got your homework done. You clean up. Bam, 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 bam. And the phone rings. Hello. We're... We're fine, thank you. God bless you. Yes, I am blessed. Yes, and Johnny's well. He's getting 100% in school. And things are just wonderful. See the church on Sunday. Lie. The culture of death and destruction. And then the anger. When you have a high murder rate, it means we're angry. We're angry. The kids are angry. There's so many vexed churches around. I go to a lot of churches. People vex, fighting within the church, conflict. 
Not Calvary. Calvary's different. Y'all don't fight. Y'all are different. No, no, no conflict here whatsoever. Praise the Lord. Bless you. <clears throat> it's coming, though. There's a lot of anger. Are you an angry person? You know, it's really sad to meet an angry Christian. You see, anger just means that the hurt of yesterday becomes the anger of today. And the worst thing for a child is an angry parent or an angry mother. I use a number of focus groups for my studies. So I have focus groups of ex-prisoners, focus groups of uh, mothers whose sons were killed, focus groups of people from um, kicked out of school. And therefore, I can predict things that are coming. One sadder thing on the horizon is when you now have the police clamping down on the murder rate, which they are, they're shooting to kill. You follow that? You can't blame them. They're against the wall. They're shooting to kill. So be careful when the police stop you, stop. <clears throat> and don't put your hand in your pocket because, hey, man, you have to be honest, right? I'm not asking what I think. I know. I work with them. They're shooting to kill. So when you get that repression of the murder, the same psychic energy to create murder is the same psychic energy to create what? Suicide. So we're going to have more suicides. It started. People seeking to hang themselves. A new phenomenon in the Bahamas where people are choosing to die. But the saddest thing in my youth focus group is kids are saying, Dr. Allen, we prefer to die than to live. We've presented a theology which says life is purely in the body. I got to look right. I have to have the right Nike shoes and the right thing. The prosperity religion. No, no. You are a soul. You have a body. Killing your body doesn't mean you kill life. Pointing that the man wants to die, but after death, the judgment. What happens when a group of kids say, Dog, we don't expect to live past 22? Because most of our friends are shot or killed. The culture of death and destruction. It's become so bad, my exposure. And of course, I have now the biggest program for the poor with drug addiction in Washington. Started simply just like the Christian Counseling Center. The Americas do things a little bigger, and that's bigger, and the bigger the problem, the bigger the, the, bigger the program, the bigger the problem. So the same issues are happening, happening there. People are still throwing up their hands the same way. The Christians are feeling the same way. My point is this. This culture of death and destruction, the devil is using in a very powerful way to discourage and pull back Christians. What is the cause? And see if you can follow me. My work has shown me that the basic root cause of the culture of death and destruction is the concept of shame. It's an old world word started right in the beginning of the Bible when Adam and Eve <coughs> messed up. They felt in shame or embarrassed, and as a result, they hid from God. Shame has been left out of the psychological literature for a long time, but now it's come roaring back. It is now known as the amassed emotion. What is shame? Shame is self-hatred aimed at me. S, self, H, hatred. A, aimed at me. It starts from childhood. When a child is hurt, because they're egocentric, they take the hurt and they blame themselves. So when your child gets hurt, the shame fire starts burning. And all the violence and suicidality and the delinquency is just what? To medicate <coughs> The shame fire. Sadly, some of us Christians, we know about forgiveness for sin, for our guilt. Guilt is I made a mistake. Shame is I am the mistake. It's so sad to see so many Christians. They've gotten forgiveness for their sin, but the shame is still killing them. It kills more behaviors than anything else. Lady, my marriage broke up. God forgave me. But Dr. Allen, I just keep performing, but I've stopped living. God can still work in your life even if you're divorced. Stop it. God can work in your life even though you've been to prison. Throw that shame out. Shame is the gap between what you expect and what you are. And the same resurrection of Christ that cures your sin can knock away your shame. We have so many talented people in the Bahamas who because of the shame core that robbed them of their ministry and they sit back doing nothing, waiting to die. I call them the living dead, dead men walking and dead men talking.
walking. Rise up, O Christian. God has forgiven you of your sin, and he's broken the shackles of your shame. Jesus is a shame buster. I don't care if you're bankrupt. I don't care if you're messed up, committed adultery or failed. Open your heart to God's forgiveness this morning and surrender and rise up and live. And not let that gap between your expected self and your actual self destroy you. But shame always starts with the hurt, and the hurt goes to anger. And of course, you know the word so clearly. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Do not let the sun, what? Set on your anger in order, what? Not to give the devil a foothold. Anger and shame are portals into evil. Now, I know we don't like to talk about that anymore, but I see it. You meet with somebody who's killed 22 times. You can't say, get your life together. When the person's got a gun on you and you know there's no way out, don't tell my wife. <clears throat> when once morning to his uh, store, and everybody had their hands up, and of course, being me, I said, hey, guys, it's too early to play cowboys and crooks, you know? <laughs> and this guy, he put it right here, David Allen, there's you no know, cowboys and crooks. You better get out here fast. Well, I know the brother, too, and so I decided I better run. I ran the fastest mile I ran, and I got home. Vicky said, everything okay? I said, things are fine. Things are fine. <laughs> well, <clears throat> that's only one of the stories, but it's a dangerous time. But anger and shame are portals into evil. Remember Cain? He got jealous. And God said, evil is looking at your heart's door. He, he was anger and angry and downcast. Anger one way, but downcast is a shame look. And God said, the evil is looking at your heart's door, and it seeks to master you. Do you remember King Saul, a great godly man? David killed Goliath. But when the women came and said, what? Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his what? Tens of thousands. Saul became jealous and angry and ashamed. And the Bible says an evil spirit from God went into his heart. And for the rest of his life, he tried to kill David. Fellow Christian, are you a Saul? Some people walk around here breaking up churches and splitting and gossiping about everybody else. Evil! Stop it! It's in the scripture. Herodias. Sweethearting Herod. He had a big party. And alcoholics are funny. And she had Salome do a one belly dance, which freaked him right out. And he said, I'll give you up to the half of my kingdom. She could have had a big cruise ship, a big boat. She could have had a home on a Mediterranean palace. But the shame evil core from her mother Herodias came right to her heart. And she went home and said, Mama, what should I ask for? And even though John was in a vertical prison, the shame and hate in that woman's heart said, ask for his head on a plate. What do you do with somebody's head on a plate? The craziest thing I could think about. When Jesus heard that, he said, let's go and rest a while. Oh, the pain and death of the shame gore. And mother and father, did you get that? If you don't let go your shame, you can pass it on to your children. It's called the doo-doo theory. The grandparents doo-doo on the parents, the parents doo-doo on the kids, and some kids have so much shame around them, they don't know where to stand. And the sad thing, some come from Christian families. Stop it! Because God wants us to rise up above this culture of death and destruction. And so here are girls, you get angry, you get hurt, the anger takes place, the shame comes in, and you cross over to the shame circle, and then you get resentment. Resentment comes from two Latin words, re again, sentir. So you feel it again, you play it again. And when somebody resents you, remember, they got power over you. And then it goes on to bitterness. Everything becomes negative. It's a nice church, but all oh, the sermons are too long. It's a beautiful situation, but people don't sing well enough. She dresses well, but her dresses never fit. She's pretty, but she's fat. It's a nice party, but a noise. Oh, gosh, Bombas is nice, but it's too small. They become bitter. Have you let yourself become bitter? A bitter person can just brighten up a room just by leaving it. Thank God she's gone. Oh, God. The woman's husband died the other day, and someone said, Ma'am, I'm so sorry. He said, Sorry, free at last, free at last. <laughs> Thank God Almighty, free at last. 
bitterness. And if you don't stop then, you move to the hardness of heart. And the hardness of heart, a wall builds up in your heart to block the garbage out. But it also blocks out the beautiful poinciana, the beautiful meridians of the Bahamian Sea, the cascading beauty of the poinciana tree. And some of us Bahamians live in the most beautiful part of the world. I've been around the parts of the world. This is a beautiful place. Jump in the water and see it. Sometimes I just go in the ocean, don't tell my wife, let the boat go and jump out and swim behind it. I hope I don't miss it sometime, but it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But you gotta see it. See, beauty of the holy connects. That the beauty comes from the holiness of God. And when you lose the beauty, a hardness is coming to your heart. Have you seen the beauty in a baby's face? Have you seen the beauty in an old person trying to make it? Have you seen the beauty in a poor person with nothing to eat? No income, but yet she could smile and say a word of prayer for you. That's beautiful. Beauty passes ever out of reach. Save in the heart where happiness is home. And their beauty is and walks like the painting of a sunset on a quiet Bahamian sea. But then the grudge. The resentment, bitterness, hardness of heart, and the grudge. And the grudge is a permanent fixture. Are you carrying a grudge? Grudges are transgenerational, and they're also trans churches. Did you get me? You see, we used to worship together, but our church split. We don't talk to them no more. Evil. Oh, we don't talk to that side of the family, you see. They have a divorce. We don't have divorces in our family. Evil. And the grudge comes. Am I talking nonsense? I've done my homework. I'm coming close to the end. I'm just a beach bum now. And this is, you know, no time to play games. We need so many weekends left. After this one, I have one less gone. So, you know, no time to play anymore, Calvary. This is serious. I mean, like it was in the 80s. Our country is on the edge. And you're the answer, just like you were. The Christian counseling center has blessed so many people. You know, in Abaco. Abaco is still possible, you know. We can stop it. Illusion is still possible. Even Ken Allen is still possible. The good thing about the Bahamas, Nassau isn't everything. So don't just live in Nassau or travel. The sad thing, I know America better than I know my own country. Let eat cassava. I'm learning. It tastes good. Anyway, I'm learning. I'm being honest. The grudge. Now, the grudge is the most serious thing. That's what Herodias had against John the Baptist. At that point, if you, don't get, if you do not get the grudge, the next step is the evil Violence, destructive tunnel. At that point is when possession takes place. And they work with a number of people who killed. And they said that they can actually feel when the force took them over. And they went beyond themselves. If you are carrying a grudge this morning, brother and sister, you are playing with evil. Spell evil backwards. L-I-V-E. The culture of death and destruction. Evil. A culture of life will open to You're carrying anger. Be careful. It will go around the circle. Resentment, bitterness, hardness of heart, and the grudge. And watch out. Remember that guy who beat this woman? They were, it was hard and he thought she was dead. Because just before a woman dies, she puts her hand over her head. And because the endorphins are secreted, and it's like you can't get out. And he said, I, don't, I beat her some more. And I said, why you kept beating her? He said, I wanted her to feel what I was feeling. I said, what were you feeling? I don't know. But he said, something just possessed me. The devil is not dead. The devil is a liar. But he's real. And even though you're a Christian, with unconfessed sin and living in shame, just because you're divorced, because you made a mistake, God can forgive you and free you. You're playing danger. And the devil's getting the victory. Stop it. The answer is not politics. The answer is not the judiciary. The answer is not on the street. The answer is here. Like the Christian counseling center stood up. Like the haven, so many other places, so many other Christians. This is where the answer is. When God sees the remnant. Sodom and Gomorrah was not just destroyed because of wickedness. It was destroyed because there's what? Not sufficient remnant. Abraham said, if I find 50, and he worked God down to what? 10. But I said, you should tell God down to nobody. I said, no, man, he's not ridiculous. He's not a Bahamian. He was reasonable. But if God couldn't find 10 people, that's why it was destroyed. Calvary, as long as there's a remnant, 
of people who are standing up for the Almighty God, the culture of life and hope is alive that transcends the culture of death and destruction. Do you get me? And finally, a person who personifies that is Mary Magdalene. You see, she was part of the culture of death and destruction. Seven demons. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of hurt, resentment, bitterness, hardness of heart, grudge. She may be even killed. I don't know. But she was hurt deeply. But one day she met the master. <laughs> one day her sin was forgiven. But one day her shame was broken. And she stood up. And in Luke 8, she helped to serve the Lord. And then she committed herself after that connection. And at the cross of Jesus, John 19, and all the disciples were running away. At the cross of Jesus was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Who else? Mary Magdalene, she was no fear weather friend. This man took my shame away. This man took me out of the coach of death and destruction. This man brought hope to my life, and I will stick with him because something about him changed my life, and I will stay with him. Are you a fair weather Christian? Things are going to get tough, brothers and sisters. Some of you have going to lose a lot more than you have. Well, if you ain't got nothing, relax too. Uh, that's harder to lose, nothing, lose more. But things are getting tough. And if you don't believe it, your kids may take you there. I'm sorry, but it's true. But are you a fair weather friend? There's some people in Calvary right now suffering, but they can't. Babies are proud, you know. We prefer to die and rather than ask for help. You see, us men. Stop that nonsense. That's shame. Ask for help. And help could be on the way. God wants to heal. This is a healing space. God is passing through this place this morning. He wants to heal you. Don't be a fair weather friend. Are you a friend? A real friend? I mean, your brother's down and out. You could sit beside him just like Mary stood with Jesus and say, you were there for me, and I will be what? There for you. Boy, Bahamian's funny now. Things good, plenty of friends. Money gone, bushcrack friend gone. <laughs> Am I lying? Let's do it differently, fellas. But then the time came for early morning, Sunday morning at the tomb. First thing before dawn. It's dark. It's scary. But there's this woman on her way to the tomb. Why? Something about that man makes me believe that it's not over. And she goes and finds the tomb is empty. And then she had community. She ran to the disciples. And all the men were hiding. God bless the man. They loved to hide. You know, they talk big, macho, but they're scared, man. They're scared. Women will outdo them any day. That's why we die younger. Be nice to us, ladies, because you'll outlive us. For gosh, you don't give the national insurance money to know how they got your fella. Come in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, some guys waiting for you the others to cop out, you know. Anyway, just relax. But women outlive men, you know, because you express yourself more. We bury our hurts and we die, and then we. You have more morbidity, but we have more mortality. We just go gloom, boom, dead. <clears throat> That's true. Like the guy I heard, most heart attacks of businessmen happen on Monday mornings. So he started going to work on Tuesday mornings. <laughs> I, I can't blame him. <laughs> and she ran. Can you imagine her knocking on the door and saying, Peter, the tomb is empty. And of course, Peter, oh my gosh, now they come for you, Peter. Run by fear in the culture of death and destruction. They ran to the tomb. They went in like a man, in and out. They did a real measurement. They measured everything, checked everything. But he gone. And now he gone, Peter. Guess what? They're going to pin it on me and you. So guess what? Let's get back and hide fast. So you know in the resurrection, the culture of death and destruction is still running. You get me, Christians. You can be a believer, but still living in the culture of death and destruction. Fear. And they go back to hiding. But there's a lonely woman, a bad woman, a bad woman, abused woman. She what? Stayed there. Was it easy? No, she was crying. Even the angel said, what are you crying for? He said, taken away, my Lord. Have you cried recently when you look around the culture of death and destruction and say, oh, God, where are you? Mary stayed there. Mother, things are tough, but you got to what? Stay there. Daddy thinks a hard business, but you gotta what? Stay there. Calvary thinks it'll get tough sometimes, but you gotta what? Stay there. You gotta stay there. You gotta stay there. No shortcuts to deeper Christianity. You gotta stay.
stayed there, crying in pain, but she stayed there. And of course, she had a separation, individuation, as Psalm 4, God has separated the godly person for himself. And then, of course, it's so beautiful. She sees a man in the garden, and Piaget's concrete operations. You see, a man in the garden in the morning, it must be what? A gardener. Just like a little kid sees a dog, pointed head, long body, tail, doggy, doggy. So the index schema goes in the brain. Any animal with a pointed head, long body, doggy, doggy. And the kid sees a cow. Ah, pointed head, long body, tail. Ah, big doggy, big doggy. No, 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 no. You see, what I'm saying is that Mary was given the schema to see the Lord. The healing of Christianity is not from without. God may use the words I speak today, but the healing is coming because he's working already in your heart. Never come to church unless you prepare yourself. Healing comes from within. And as God did a psychological operation on our heart, or we say psychoanalytic perspective, <laughs> Jesus then called her by name, Mary. And she said, what? Rabboni. Oh, that name. That's got to be him. I thought it was over. I knew it wasn't. That's the message today, fellow believer. I don't care how bad it gets. I mean, murders there are. The culture of life and hope rises. And Jesus calls you by your individual name because he has a task for you and only you alone can do. You have meaning. You have dignity. You have identity. You have value. You are important. And if you're the only person in the world, God would have come to die for you. And yet you want to live in shame like you're dead? God says, rise up. And you know the story how she went to cling to the Lord. She said, no, no, don't cling to me, Mary. Go and tell. The proof of knowing Jesus is you've got to give him away. And we're here today, you know why? Because Mary, a broken woman, went and told. Does God have a sense of humor? The first person to know the party of life had begun. That, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, great, where's your victory? Was not a professor of theology. Was not a powerful politician. but a broken, abused woman. Great is the mystery of godliness. And so God can take that broken part of your heart, that shame part, that so-called divorce in your life, that adultery you shouldn't be involved with, that sin, that abortion, whatever, you can take it and take it away and take the merry migraine part of your heart and rise up. And bring and build his kingdom. But you would not. Yes, you confess your guilt. But God wants to knock away the shame. And raise you up to continue. Your ministry. In fact, Mary went all the way. In fact, she got as far as Marseille, France. She was there with John. She uh, died in Ephesus. Interesting cross, right? You worksmen, not very good, right? But it's a holy cross. It was in the year 1993. I was sitting in my office in Washington. And this lady, 80-year-old woman, came to my office. And I said, Mama, what can I do for you this morning? She said, Doc, you can't do nothing for Mama. You ain't got no drugs that will work for me, and nothing you could say will work for me. I said, well, Mama, why you come to see me? She said, well, I've met pain bigger than me for the first time in my life. I've been a missionary. I've been married for over 60 years. I got great grandchildren. I've served the church, but for the first time, the old lady has met pain that's bigger than me. I can't tell you a pain. And I bought me a gun, and I know America. When they say they buy a gun, they're serious. So right away, I started ducking behind my desk because I, with Mama 80 with a gun, and I, you know, all of a sudden, anyway, I said, Mama, where the gun is? She said, well, she won't tell me, so I got even more scared. So I said, well, she said, I'm going to kill myself. I've met pain bigger than myself, and I, I believe that God is good, and I, 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 I can argue, and I, I'll discuss it with the Lord and say, I, I tried to save, I believe in Jesus, but this pain is bigger than me, and I've decided I'm going to shoot myself. But I called the lady, my friend in Florida, and my friend said, before you shoot yourself, go see a guy called David Allen in Washington. I just read his book, In Search of a Heart. So I just came here because my friend sent me, but you can't do nothing for me. At that point, it was Tuesday morning, but I'll tell you there's something about the culture of death and destruction. When the heart is hurt, the atmosphere becomes dark. 
So 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning, my office became almost like dust. As I saw the pain in that dear woman's face. I said, Mama, you believe her. You've said God well. You know about the cross for salvation. But do you ever realize the cross is also for maintenance? Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely he bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. You know, maybe, have you thought of letting Jesus carry this? Maybe what we weren't meant to carry everything in life. In fact, that's why Christ came, because he knew you can't carry everything. She looked at me. <laughs> we worked together for three months weekly. And then I said, Mom, I think you've done so well. We'll have one more session. And the last session she came, she had two pieces of wood sticking up out of her bag. I got really scared there. <laughs> I, said, I said, Mama, what you got now? And she said, look, after our first session, I went in the backwoods with my husband's saw, and I made two crosses, a big one and a little one. She said, I want you to tell people when they come by your way, tell them about the old lady who met pain bigger than her. Even though she was a believer, what she's saying, I got shame. I had to give it to Jesus on the cross to carry for me again and bring it through the resurrection. Tell them that he did. I keep this in my bedroom. I deal with the culture of death and destruction. And some nights I'll tell you, this just gets splattered. I know my wife sees it. Oh, the ceiling through the Spirit of God. I have one in my office. People come from all over the world. And I say, just hold it, hold it. They want to fight and shoot. Hold it. I bring out that little cross. Let me tell you the story of the old lady and the cross. Oh, the old rugged cross. I will never be true. It's sin and reproach. Gladly bear. Yes, the culture of death and destruction. But praise God, the culture of life and hope. Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ died. And Jesus Christ, what? Rose again. And so, believer, you're now a member of the culture of life and hope. Thank you.